Hello, hello, and welcome to Non-Technical, where I, your host, Alexis Gay, interview influential folks from tech, media, business, and beyond about everything except their resumes. Today on the pod, big, very exciting episode of the show, we have Ginny Hogan, a writer and the author of Yes, We Mustard. Though she's done a lot of other super impressive, very interesting things prior to that, which admittedly, I'm not going to ask her that much about. Jenny, thank you so much for being here. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Alexis. Oh my gosh, I cannot imagine a better way to start the day than sitting down and having a chat with you. You ready to dive in? I absolutely am. Fabulous, let's do it. This episode of Non-Technical is brought to you by Bets Connect, a recruiting platform unlike any other. Whether you're looking to hire the best go-to-market talent or looking for your next opportunity, Bets can help. Bets has spent more than a decade building relationships with the world's most innovative companies and professionals. And for the first time ever, you can access this network with Bets Connect. As the only go-to-market recruiting platform built by recruiters and powered by recruiters, Connect enables you to search through a network of vetted go-to-market professionals actively looking for their next opportunity and make better hires faster. In addition, Bets Connect clients the ROI within 90 days. Plus, if you're looking for your next big opportunity, you can join the Bets Network and get connected with the world's most innovative companies that are looking to hire go-to-market professionals like you. Learn more about hiring top talent or finding your next role at BetsRecruiting.com slash non-technical. Jenny Hogan is the author of Toxic Femininity in the Workplace and the upcoming Audible original series, Yes, We Mustard. Jenny, welcome to Non-Technical. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. The pleasure is mine. And as we just discovered, we are both in New York right now. Check that out. Yeah, very exciting. It's 115 degrees. Just about. Oh my God. Have you been outside yet today? I haven't. I have. I went out really early, so it wasn't that hot, but I don't know if I'll go out again. I'm pretty impressed that you braved it. It's hot. (laughs) It's really hot. Yeah. Well, Jenny, you and I know each other. We were just catching up a couple of different ways, actually. We had some mutual friends in tech where you used to work as well. I ended up randomly at one of your comedy shows years and years and years ago in a karaoke bar. I think. Does that sound right in Japantown? I've done comedy all kinds of weird places, so that definitely sounds <laughs> sounds accurate. Yeah. And then I know that we were able to reconnect online because you're so hilarious on Twitter. And I was like, wait, I think I know that girl. <laughs> you as well. I love your videos. Thank you. Oh, yes. We love a mutual admiration. <laughs> My first question for you is, how did you spend your last day off? My last day off? Uh, I'm so bad because I never really take full days off. And then I also never really work full days <laughs> okay. or, or I only take days off kind of like accidentally. But I guess my last like day off, I was in Charleston very recently and I was hanging out with friends for a friend's 30th birthday. And those days were like fully off, but we were just walking around Charleston. It was insanely hot, but it's a really cool city. I've never been. I've heard really good things. You were celebrating a 30th birthday. Yeah. One of my best friend's 30th birthdays and a lot of our high school friends oh. came down. Yeah. It was really fun. That's really nice. And your high school friends, you're from New York, right? Or you're from the East Coast? I'm from the East Coast. Yeah, I'm from New York. She lives in Austin. So she was kind of picking a spot that was sort of in the middle of a lot of different people. So Charleston was great. It worked out. Do you and your high school friends have any traditions, like something you have to do every time you see each other? No, I wish we did. I have two high school group chats that are both very active and I am like in really close touch with my high school friends, but I don't know if we have any traditions. One of my high school friends used to have a Christmas party. That was like a big tradition and we would like carol and everything, but her parents left or like moved out of that house. So no longer. I see. What else was memorable? I went to a beach. It was beautiful, like super white sand, warm water. Yeah. I don't know. I loved it. Love Charleston. Yeah. That's great. Okay. I'll have to check that out. Have you ever been known as the something person? Like, 
if you were the math girl in high school, for example, or something like that. I was the math girl. Oh, you were the math girl. I was the math girl. (laughs) (laughs) I play with my hair really aggressively. That's kind of like what I'm known for. Okay. I've honestly gotten a lot better in recent years, even though I still do it. Like, I think a new person who met me would be like, oh, that girl plays with her hair a lot. But my old friends are like, oh, you stopped. Um, (laughs) But I used to just kind of like be like sitting like basically like at 90 degrees with my hands on my neck at all times, twisting my hair into insane knots. I spent a summer at this like math research thing in Williamstown, Massachusetts. There was like only one coffee shop, like only one pizza place. And the owner of every establishment knew me as the girl who twirled her hair all the time. Really? So it was dramatic. This was a dramatic. It was dramatic. Okay. It was like embarrassing. It was compulsive. I like couldn't stop. It was really intense. Do you ever try to stop? I tried to stop many times. I once also got really mad at my parents because I think I started doing it when I was like eight and then it just like progressively got worse. And I was like, you guys should have shut this down when I was a child. Like, how did you let it spin out of control? Seriously. But what about today? Where are we with the hair twirling? It's a little bit better. I think keeping my hair really short helps because I used to like get it in knots all the time and then I'd have to cut the knots out. And I just like can't really do that with my hair that short. The stakes are higher. I meditate now. Oh, look at you. I'm really aggressively playing with my hair tie. Like I'm a fidgeter. Uh, I'm also always very caffeinated. Mm -hmm. So I definitely still play with my hair, but it's not as like crazy as it used to be. When I was like 16, I got kicked out of like a concert that I was at with my mom. Because I was, like, playing with my hair so much that the woman behind me, like, what? couldn't see. And she, like, complained. It was really, it was, yeah, no, I was, I was in deep for a while. What concert? <laughs> it was a classical music concert in Vienna. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was, like, on vacation with my mom in high school. Was this an Austrian woman that gave you a hard time? I think so, yeah. Yeah, she, like, complained to the usher who then, like, asked me to leave. But I didn't want to be there anyway. Oh, my God. Okay, well, hey, that maybe worked out for you then. I know. My mom was definitely more upset than I was. I believe that. Yeah. I don't think I've ever been asked to stop playing with my hair, but I definitely realized I had to take my bun down once. You have a high bun. I do a high bun if I'm doing a bun at all. I have a lot of hair, so it needs to go somewhere. And I realized that that's not okay if you're at the theater because it's truly, it's like on top of my head. (laughs) Are you modeling it off Miley Cyrus? Because she has a great top bun or used to. She used to do an amazing top knot. I can't say that I've taken any inspiration from her, though I would be proud to take inspiration from her. Yeah. Maybe you're the OG. Maybe she's taking inspiration from you. Maybe she's taking inspiration from me. And you know what? You're saying that. I can't say that. It is probably true. Like, I think we can just say that that's pro. I can only imagine that that's the case. Definitely. But I started doing it in college, I think, because it was just easier. Yeah. I love it. I love your top, (laughs) top knot. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Okay, so the math girl, was the math girl moniker related to the hair twirling thing? As in, were you twirling your hair when doing math specifically, or are these unrelated? I definitely twirled my hair the most when I was thinking. So like in college, like I'd be in the Mm. library, like sitting at a desk, like obsessively twirling my hair. And this summer in Williamstown, (laughs) I was like doing math all the time. It was like a math study program. It was really weird. I think it kind of just tied (laughs) into me being a generally really awkward nerd. I mean, I say I was the math girl in high school. I don't think that that's like the first thing people would have said about me. I was pretty into math, but I was like more into other things too. Like I was really into my speech and debate team. Ooh, yes. Love that. Yeah. Were you a speech and debate kid? I always wanted to do speech and debate, but I never did because I was always doing the plays. Right. It sort of in some ways is like pick a lane. Mm -hmm. There's strong drama kid energy and then there's strong speech and debate kid energy. But I think to combine both is hard. For one person to contain such multitudes, I think is a challenge. Yeah, that's a loud person. I mean, I knew them and they're loud. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. Is there a catchphrase or other words or phrases that you feel or other people feel are specific to you? For example, I'm known amongst friends as saying, who's to say? Okay. I don't know if there's one thing that I'm common known for saying. I think that people are known for telling me calm down or something or like, Slow down, oh, okay. slow down. I get told a lot. Like I, like when I get really into an idea, I just like run with it so fast. That's a great quality. Slow down what? Like slow down how fast you're talking about it or just like working on it? Definitely the way I talk is really fast. Oh. And the way that I, I work fast, but not well. Like I, sometimes I work well, but like <laughs> I'm the opposite of a perfectionist. I have this theory if life were like a race to see who could be the first yeah. one to get a first draft that's not bad. I would win. Yeah. But it's not that. It's not that. Unfortunately, no. <laughs> yeah. I can start things really quickly, but then I like make a lot of mistakes and I don't like to edit. Not just with my writing, just with like the way that I live almost. Okay. <laughs> What's an example of how that manifests itself? If I'm like house hunting, I'll set up 30 viewings and I'll go to all of them. If one of the applications requires me to go to the post office or something, or like do something outside my house yeah. to fill it out, I won't do it. Like I won't finish. Sure. That kind of thing. That seems very reasonable to me. And also that is a skill that I do think is very important. It can't be the only skill that you have, but I think getting to a first draft is a skill that a lot of people wish they had. It is useful. Like, I think other people, when they're a apartment hunting would like go look at like three apartments and apply for all of them and like save themselves a yeah. lot of time and probably move into an apartment they really liked. You know, you are right about that. <laughs> Ginny, you're an individual. Thank you. You're an artiste. You're unique. Thank you so much. Just remind your friends. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Is there a fad and this could be something cultural, fashion-y, workout, whatever that you look back on participating in that now makes you a little cringy? I had a nose ring. Oh, what kind? Like a little stud right here. Oh, okay, cute. I don't think there's anything weird about nose rings. It was at a time when a lot of people had them, like in college. I think yeah. for me, it was just so clearly performative. Like I was such a nerd and I was like, oh, maybe if I get this <laughs> nose ring, like no one will notice, yeah. you know? So I feel a little bit cringy about that. Yeah. Did it work? Did it change anybody's perception of you? I don't think so. I mean, I like never got laid, which was sort of my big issue in okay. college. Was that one of the goals? Was it like, maybe I'll get laid if I get a nose ring? I think I thought maybe I could like change the perception of me and like make myself cooler and more attractive. Okay. <laughs> I was also really into like fad workout classes. <laughs> Actually, Kelly and I used to go like on class pass all the time, like spinning and like we would go spinning at lunch. Kelly and I used to go <laughs> yeah. spinning too. I'm surprised the three of us never ended up spinning together. I know. Well, yeah. maybe someday we will. I was really into class pass and like fancy workout classes for a while. I don't really regret that. It was just really expensive and I but I was making a lot more money at the time. I'm like, maybe I should have saved that money <laughs> and I would have it now. Yeah. <laughs> I love a fad workout. I got into SoulCycle a few years back, like way, way back maybe. I don't really know how time works anymore, but my friend used to work there. And so he would be able to sign me in whenever he had oh, that's awesome. an extra spot, which was such a treat because it turns out going to SoulCycle and not paying for it is actually a much better experience than going to SoulCycle and paying for it. Oh, yeah. It's like a dollar a minute if you pay for it. And so you have to make every minute count. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's terrible to think then about how many times I sat in the third row in the dark, barely keeping up, <laughs> paying a dollar a minute. That's, I think, like kind of part of the trick of like really expensive gyms and exercise classes is that once you've paid for them, you feel so bad that you like have to work hard. 
But I like that. I find that motivating. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay. So you got a nose ring. This was in college. It did not necessarily have the desired impact. Was there anything else you tried? to make yourself, as you put it, more attractive? I dyed my hair platinum blonde, and when I look back at photos, it was not a good move. Oh, wow. But you're naturally blonde, right? I naturally have dark blonde hair. Okay. And I used to have, like, brighter blonde hair, which I like and kind of might go back to, but this was, like, almost white. It just didn't work for me. I wore, like, so much black eyeliner, and I wasn't even, like, goth or emo yeah. or anything. I just thought that that was, like, the most flattering look for my face. Really dark eyeliner had a moment. It did. And I'm not going to say that I never go overboard with the eyeliner, but, yeah, in college it was, like, under the yeah. under-eye eyeliner. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was, you know, I think we can blame Ashley Simpson for that one. Definitely. I really feel that she was the one. She had her show. Pieces of me had come out. I'm not saying you were in college when Pieces of Me came out, but I just feel that that one thing led to another. Totally. And we all ended up putting eyeliner on our bottom lash line. It went out of control. That was also right around the time when I would shower and with my hair still wet, I would put gel in it and crinkle it oh. so that I had... <laughs> So that I had like hard curls (laughs) and it would be like that with the dark eyeliner and like a fuchsia ribbed tank top. And that it was my look. (laughs) I love hard hair. (laughs) I feel like men's hair used to like be really hard, like a man with a ton of hair gel and you put your hands in it and you're like, oh, this is just hard. (laughs) Don't worry. Literally zero people were putting their hands in my hair at the time. So that was never an issue for me, but it was a look. And that was a moment that I had. Yeah. Do you ever um, put your hair in a top knot while it's wet and then like kind of let it dry up there? And then does it come out like curly ish? Yeah. Yeah. It's naturally curly. I slept in it in a low bun last night. And so it's particularly curly right now, but I didn't feel like wrangling it. Mm, Yeah. I guess so. Hence the top knot, you know? I get it. Can you curl your hair? No, my mom has curled it like a few times in my life, like for my graduation and stuff. But no, I hardly ever do. Yeah. There's something about graduations that turn every girl with straight hair into someone with just those little light curls. I don't know what it is. There's like this East Coast graduation vibe. Every mom on the East Coast is like, we have to curl the front of your hair. Yeah. I don't know where it comes from. <laughs> like that's fancy though. Yeah. That is how you look fancy at a graduation. It really is. Yeah. And like, I'm really grateful to have straight hair because I know that like my friends who are always trying to like get their hair straight or sometimes it can be like expensive to get it straightened in those fancy ways. But yeah, I will say it's really hard for me to like get any volume. I sympathize. I don't empathize. I've got plenty of volume, but I will say that the trick to having curly hair, in my opinion, is to just lean into it and make it being chaotic the look yeah. that you're going for. Yeah. Because whenever I try to make it look a certain way, it looks like I tried and failed to make it look a certain way. But if I just let the chaos reign, yeah. everyone's like, ooh, cool hair. And I'm like, yeah, totally. I tried really hard. And yeah. like slept on it, pulled it out of the <laughs> bun, shook it out a little and called it a day. That's almost like a good life lesson. <laughs> just like... Be openly chaotic. And let it ride. And that's, let it ride. And then, and then when people are like, wow, great job. I'm like, yes, I planned for this. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. correct. Thank I like you. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so speaking of your mom helping you out with your hair, is there anything your family did growing up that at the time you thought was normal and then later you realized was strange or something that other families didn't do? We ate dinner at 5 p.m., and I do like think of five. Oh. Yeah, sometimes like 4.30. I do think of that as like dinner time to this day. Still? 
Yeah. I mean, I go to bed really early. I'm on like an early schedule. If I'm alone in my house, I eat dinner like around five. Well, that is definitely a time when I have eaten lunch. I'll be honest with you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a more common lunchtime than dinner time. Do you go to sleep really early? In quarantine, I was going to bed at like eight. And now I'm... Okay, so I'm a (laughs) stand-up comedian. So my sleep schedule is not good for stand-up. Like I'm kind of trying to push it to staying awake until like 10. But I go to bed early, yeah. Oh my God. This is a tough marriage of lifestyle and career path. It really is, Because a lot of mics and shows are so late. I'm always drinking a Red Bull at 7 p.m. to like get me through a show. It's not a good situation. Oh my God. Have you ever fallen asleep at a show? No, but I've like asked to go on earlier because I was like too tired and stuff. (laughs) Wow. I'm so jealous, Jenny, because I have the opposite problem. Mm -hmm. I'll stay up too late. And then I feel bad if I sleep too late. And because I'm also self-employed and do comedy, it's both like I feel better and worse about it. I feel better about it because I'm like, well, this is my full-time job. So I should accommodate my lifestyle to like fit the job. And then I'm also like, you're self-employed. You got to get up. You got to be productive. You got to go do things. Yeah. Yeah. How much sleep do you get? As I've gotten older, I've gotten so much better about sleeping. Mm -hmm. When I was in my early 20s and living in New York, I'd never slept. I slept like six, maybe hours a night. And then I was always miserable in the morning. And it's like, I wonder why I wasn't sleeping. Totally. But now that I am an adult and I'm so fucking wise, I think I sleep between seven and eight hours a night, honestly. That's good, yeah. But I I still prefer more, but seven or eight like works for sure. You sleep more than eight hours a night? I love to, but I don't sleep well. So like a lot of the times, like I have times when I'm awake for like two hours in the middle of the night. Yeah. Which is not not funny either. The problem that I think I would run into in having dinner at 4.30 or 5 p.m. is that I would feel like I needed a fourth meal. If I have like a really early dinner and then I have like a late show, I definitely have like a snack later on. Yeah. It would be a me. I would have a fourth meal. Yeah. Is what would be happening. Yeah. (laughs) Simply like, I couldn't do it. I couldn't be awake for that long and not eat. (laughs) Right. It only works if you go to bed really early. Definitely. Maybe that's the secret, though, to working really fast. Maybe all of that sleep powers your incredible ability to get to that first draft. Maybe if I got a little bit more sleep, I would do a second draft. Maybe that's it. Or maybe if you didn't go to sleep. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 You have more time to edit. <laughs> yeah. The editing takes place after eight and I am asleep for it. <laughs> yeah. I think that's true. Yeah. yeah. Well, now we know. Yeah. So your family, did they grow up like that? Or was that a lifestyle thing? Was it someone's job? What led to you guys eating that early? It was definitely my dad's choice. So my mom wasn't home for dinner. She worked pretty late. And so then my dad kind of got like free reign to do whatever he wanted. His sleeping schedule is like mine. He goes to bed at eight and wakes up at like five. So Mm -hmm. he just gave us dinner at five. Like in high school, like I stayed up kind of late, not super late, but like till like 11 or midnight doing homework. And I would definitely like eat late at night too. But it was like weird to have dinner at five. Wow. Having dinner at five and then not going to sleep until midnight, that's seven hours between dinner and sleeping. But I would be like snacking the whole time. Okay. I couldn't do it. If I'm awake for seven hours and I haven't eaten, like call somebody. There's been a problem. There's been an incident. I would even just, even for the like experience of it, like I want the experience of having a snack at that point. Totally. Yeah. No. Otherwise you're basically fasting and that's not fun. Yeah. No, who needs it? Yeah. So Jenny... I have a question for you. This is actually the first time that I've asked a guest this question. If you were kidnapped, but you had the chance to communicate something to your friends and family to secretly let them know that something was wrong, what would you say? What's something that would really surprise them to hear from you that would alert them to the fact that you have been taken or something is off? Whoa. 
I'm feeling very calm or like I'm considering, <laughs> yeah, like then they would be like freaked out or like, um, I'm considering learning how to drive. I'm pretty okay. anti-driving. I don't know how to drive and I like don't think people should. You live in LA and you don't know how to drive? Well, I think I'm probably going to stay in New York. We'll see if I go back to LA. But yeah, I was getting on without a car, which was pretty- Okay, there we go. See, this is a great city to not know how to drive. It's better to not know how to drive here because it absolves you of the responsibility on weekend trips. It's amazing. Ooh, sorry, can't do it. I'm a little baby. Exactly. I grew up in New York. That's why I don't know how to drive. I tell people, I mean, obviously yeah, I could have learned, but I have not. <laughs> People not from New York, though, take that as a totally acceptable reason. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. If you didn't grow up in Manhattan or whatever, people are like, oh, okay, they grew up in New York. Yeah. But what they don't know is that plenty of people who grew up in New York have their driver's <laughs> Yes, exactly. So you're not getting it away with it, with me, but I'm sure with other people that works. Um, one of my best friends from college doesn't have her driver's license, and she's from Alaska. And I'm just like, what are you doing? What? She's like the only person I know outside of New York. Didn't grow up in New York and doesn't drive, but doesn't have like some kind of medical reason for it. Wow. I have one friend who grew up in New York that doesn't have their license. And I have one friend who grew up not in New York and lives in LA and doesn't have their license. Yeah. Wild. That really blew my mind. I certainly have my license and can legally drive. It's just, it would be better if someone else did. Yeah. I actually do have, I do have a license. I took my road test four times, yeah. but I have not driven since my road test. Like when you were 16? Yeah. Or no, I took it like when I was like 18. And like, then again, when I was like 21 and then 22. And then I got it when I was 23. <laughs> Are you saying that it didn't go your way? I failed it three times, yeah. Okay. (laughs) I failed it the first time, for sure. Very large failure. Okay, so bombshell revelation that you actually do have a driver's license. (laughs) I do have a driver's license. I'm like, would not be qualified to drive at all. Like, it would be a disaster. Yeah. Okay, well, good to know. So that would be very surprising to your friends and family if you were like, hey, I'll drive. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's great. I think mine would be, what time is the big game? (laughs) Yeah, that's a really good one. Yeah, I hate sports. <laughs> okay, I have this fantasy right now because I saw in a, an ad for the U.S. Open. When I was growing up, my parents used to watch the U.S. Open. They played tennis. I played a little tennis. I don't know what inspired me, but I have this fantasy of getting like really into the U.S. Open this year. <laughs> There's just like a sexy quality to that. Like, oh, I'd love to watch the open. Like, imagine if I just said stuff like that. That'd be great. How do you deal on dates? Or do you date men? Yeah. Who like sports? Yeah. Usually because I am now in like a creative field and because of my general vibe, I think I get away with the quirky like (laughs) sports, you know, sort of thing. Yeah. It hasn't really been an issue to date. I am not somebody who hate sports or things people who like sports are dumb. So it has never been like, oh, I can't sit across from this Neanderthal and listen to them talk about the New York Giants, you know? Yeah. But I've never had that fire in my heart for a sports team. Have you ever had that with any team? No. I And I'm more like, I think they're stupid and I don't like people to talk about them. My last relationship, I do think the main selling point of this guy was that he wasn't into sports. And it ended up being one of the, the only selling points. Oh no, Jenny, that can't be number one. It was high. I mean, he also had like... He had other a few other things, but I did like that he was not into sports. It is nice. I do like it. I mean, I like when people in general, whether that's romantic, friendships, whatever, are passionate about things. And so if someone is passionate about a sport, if they played it or if it was a family thing, I like passion. 
It's harder for me to join you in the passion, though, if the passion is for like a a random sports team. If there's like a game on at a bar or something and it's an event to go to and I'm there, I have to look around at other people to see how they're reacting to the game to know how to react to the game. Yeah. Because I like don't get it. If everyone cheers, I'll be like, yay. Because I watch it and my eye like can't track the ball at the speed everybody. I don't know what it is, but I can't. It doesn't process. I don't like to feel emotions in groups. So like if if everyone is happy, I don't like that. You're a stand-up comedian. (laughs) Well, I'm not laughing at my own jokes. Okay, that's a good point. I should say I don't mind when the group is feeling emotions. I just don't want to participate in it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. What about like a movie? What about seeing a movie with other people? Into it? Not into it. I'm into it, but like I go to movie theaters. I don't think there are that many movies where truly the whole audience is like laughing the whole time. Mm. Maybe there are a few really funny movies. You know what I don't like? I don't like when you're in a group and something good has happened or something sad has happened. And then the next person you make eye contact with, you have to convey that emotion to them. (laughs) Like you have to show that you're appropriately excited. I was like at an engagement party or like it wasn't even an engagement party. It was like a surprise engagement and we didn't know that Mm. it was going to be an engagement. So like then the next person I make eye contact with, I have to be like, oh my God, aren't you so happy that our friends just got engaged? And like, yeah, I don't like hate engagement parties or anything. I don't like really hate wedding culture, but I just don't like like the having to like be so excited and like perform my emotions. I think that's what it is. Yeah. So watching a movie Mm. is fine because you're not like then making eye contact with the other people. I hate the pressure of feeling like I have to show how I feel if I it's not organically how I feel. I don't like to have to go the extra mile to make sure you can tell yes. that I feel this way. Yes. Like you were probably happy when you saw your friends got engaged. Yes, that's the thing. But I just don't want to like talk about it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and sadness, I have to be alone. I will not be sad in front of people. I hate really? it. Yeah. So what's the tiniest hill that you're willing to die on, something inconsequential that you would really, really go to bat for. I really hate when people say that you shouldn't call someone hot just because they're a bad person. Everyone was so mad about like people glorifying Ted Bundy for being hot. And I think it's fine to say Ted Bundy's hot. I actually think that the opposite is problematic. And here's my reasoning. If you associate the way someone looks aesthetically with who they are as a person, you're like putting a moral value on being attractive. If someone can't be hot because they're a really bad person, then that means that only ugly people can be bad people. Like statistically speaking, an ugly person would then have a higher chance of being a bad person. And therefore, I think it's actually like important to be honest about when really bad people are kind of hot. You know, I totally understand being turned off by someone because they're such a shithead. But like there are hot Paul Ryan kind of hot. I don't know. Like, I just don't think I should get shut down for saying that. I think it should be fine to be like, he sucks, but he's kind of hot, you know? That's a really great perspective. Have you gotten a lot of pushback on this? I'm like fully on board already. So I get pushback because I like insert myself into the conversations about no one like goes after me. I feel like there was like a big Twitter thing when like the Netflix Ted Bundy movie came out and Zac Efron was playing him and everyone's like, you can't have someone hot play Ted Bundy. And then I got really mad. I was like, yes, you can. Zac Efron can play Ted Bundy. Absolutely. Yeah. Zac Efron himself could be a huge shithead. Like we don't know. We don't know. That's a really amazing point. You know who comes to mind to me for this is, this is not me making a declaration on whether this guy is a bad person, but I would say that there's a lot of controversy around his behavior, and yet I still think he's super hot, which is Casey Affleck. There you go. Like, 
I think Casey Affleck is hot. I mean, all kinds of guys who got Me Too'd were hot. I'm trying to think if anyone else comes immediately. Oh, Army Hammer's hot. There you go. He's definitely hot. Yeah, yeah. He just is. Like, I agree with you 100%. We have to separate this idea that, like, only the most wonderful people in the world are permitted to be hot. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shitheads can be hot. And there's just no correlation between what someone looks like and what their, like, moral value is, you know? A hundred percent. I will say, though, that it does feel like for a while there, I had a moment where my brain associated a hot person with just like being awful. And so when I would meet a hot person, I would automatically judge them a little bit and be like, oh, they probably suck. I got over it, but there was like a few solid years where I was like, oh, that person's hot. Never mind. I think that's so true. I think that it's almost like a difference between like people in our own lives and then like, celebrities. Or It's like you're not allowed mm. to say that someone's hot if they're like famously bad, but then I think everyone does kind of yeah. think hot people are going to be a little bit less nice. This goes against what I just yeah. said, but... In terms of men I've slept with, I do think that the hot ones are nicer because they're less insecure and they're not like putting their insecurities on me, you know? Like we can just kind of like have a good time. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, generalization, but... We love a good generalization on non-technical. <laughs> exactly. I'm trying to think if I agree with that. I like my people to have gone through a little struggle in high school, you know? <laughs> I think so too, yeah, yeah, yeah. You had an easy time in high school. I don't know that you and I are really gonna get along, you know? Yeah, I, think that's I don't fair. know yeah. that we were cut from the same cloth here <laughs> if you never had your heart broken in the hallway, you know what I mean? Right. So Jenny, if you weren't doing what you do now professionally, writing and comedy, et cetera, what do you think you'd be doing? This is a really good question because I think of this every day because my career is so unstable. Um, <laughs> I'm a recovering alcoholic and I'm very interested in both like addiction policy and like drug counseling and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I actually was just the other day looking up how to become like a peer addiction counselor. One of my struggles, I don't know if you've experienced this too as a freelancer, is I do always want a thing that's not strictly comedy. And I also usually need it. It kind of depends on the month, but usually it's like good to have that extra income. And then it's like, I want that thing to be something I enjoy doing and feels useful, but I don't want to like invest time into getting a thing that's not really related to my career, you know? So I'm like, do I want to do like a a hundred hour training to become a peer counselor when it's not really my career? But anyway, I do think that I would work with like addicts if I weren't doing stand-up or comedy. That sounds like it could be really fulfilling in a way that even if it doesn't move your comedy or writing career forward directly, the fulfillment that you get from that experience might be really useful to then use when you're writing. Not even that you'd be writing about it, but just like emotionally, I wonder if it would fill you up, you know? It really does. I mean, I like have worked as a receptionist at the Red Cross and I just got a job as a receptionist at like a transitional housing facility for addicts. And being a receptionist is, I think it's really fun because you get a lot of downtime to read. And it's also just fun to like sit somewhere for eight hours and be like, oh, this was useful. Like they needed a person to sit here and do it. I did it. And this organization is useful. It's very satisfying in a way that writing is not. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy, too. Yeah. And you get to see a lot of people, which I find for comedy, it really helps me to be around people. I do a lot of my writing outside at coffee shops. I pick up most of my ideas when I'm just like experiencing people. Yes, very much so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ginny, what's something non-work related that you're really proud of? I'm a certified yoga instructor. Actually, I can't really say I'm that proud of it. It's like, that's kind of my go-to fun fact, but it was really easy to get because I got it online and I did it during the pandemic and it's way easier than if you do it in person. What's the thing I'm like proud of though? Oh, I'm really proud of my sobriety, I guess. That's kind of my like main thing. 
two and a half years sober. That's definitely like the big, a big, huge part of my life. Yeah. And very satisfying. And it's kind of like the thing I cling to. And you've actually written some pretty amazing pieces about that experience too, that I'm sure have helped a lot of people. Oh, that's so nice of you to say. It it helps me to write about it. And I I like make jokes about it. And it is really nice when people like DM me about stuff that's like sobriety related specifically. Are people ever uncomfortable when you make jokes about that? One thing I do, and I do this for for the express purpose of making people uncomfortable, I use the term alcoholic sometimes, but I'm not even really that attached to the label. I think it doesn't bother me if someone calls me an alcoholic. I don't say it about myself like derogatorily, but I also don't always feel like it's accurate. But if anyone ever says anything rude about addicts or like judgmental about addicts, then I'm very quick to be like, oh, I'm a recovering alcoholic just to make them feel bad. Like, you know, like that's kind of like, then that does make them uncomfortable. Sounds like that was the goal. That's the goal. Yeah. So great job. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's what I'm most proud of is my ability to make people feel bad. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This is a two-part question. First part is who would play you in a movie about your life? And the second part is, should this movie be a biopic? So birth to present day, or should we focus in on a particular chapter of the Ginny Hogan life? so far. So I'll answer the second part first. I would prefer it be a biopic, but based on how the industry reacts to me, I'm very sure it would entirely be me in the tech industry as like a female engineer. That's the only thing that like my whole thing is I was a female engineer. I think it would like be my years in the tech industry, which I don't really think of as the most interesting parts of my life, but I understand what it is kind of more appealing from like a story perspective about that. Who would play me? I don't know. Maybe like Jesse Eisenberg, even though he's a man. <laughs> that would be like my dream. <laughs> oh my God. I would love for Jesse Eisenberg to play you. Okay. So the only celebrities I get as doppelgangers, they're not famous for being attractive. I get like, well, Steffi Graf, who's like a tennis player. Who actually, and then um, Elizabeth Holmes. Like if I were a turtleneck. <laughs> okay. If I were a turtleneck, people tell me I look okay. like Elizabeth Holmes. It was, is attractive. First of all, we're all out of swords here. You should be playing Elizabeth Holmes. Elizabeth Holmes should not be playing you. <laughs> <laughs> when I first moved to LA, I took a sitcom acting class and I'm not an actress at all and don't aspire to be, but I had this idea that it would like make me a better writer to know how actors thought. This class had so many problematic aspects to it. But at the end, like the last <laughs> class was by far the weirdest. We had to fill out these forms describing our classmates in terms of how we should pitch ourselves to like TV agents or whatever. And it was like, what actors does this person remind you of? And then it's like, what yeah. TV shows can you see them <laughs> on? And everything like that. So like for me, like it was like, what actors do they remind you of? And no one said anything. And then after three minutes, one guy was like, you kind of look like my sister. <laughs> And then oh my God. another guy was like, I think you could play Laura Dern's younger sister. And I was like, okay, Laura Dern is oh. very beautiful, but I'm going to have to go yes. with daughter. Like I'm, I was 28 at the time. <laughs> I didn't love that. I didn't love like younger sister, even though I do think I love Laura Dern. She's very beautiful. And then there was like one Southeast Asian guy and everyone was like, you should be on Silicon Valley. And so messed up. It was so... Also, we had to like, circle adjectives for like what someone like reminded us, uh, like what adjectives best describe yeah. the person. And like, there were, there's like a sheet of paper of like a hundred adjectives and every single person circled awkward for me. There are like eight other people in the class. <laughs> Every single person said awkward. And not only did everyone say awkward, but I was the only one who had any adjectives that had unanimous support. Oh my God. 
I was more awkward than anyone was anything else. Wow. Wow. How did that feel? Fortunately, at the time, I was already aware of my awkwardness and I do play it up. And also, like, this is a class for, like, aspiring actors. It's insanely beautiful people who really know how to compose themselves. Like, I think I was the happiest person in the class because I didn't take anything too seriously and could have a good time. But yeah, these are people who, like, go to auditions every day get rejected every day. It's heartbreaking. Being an actress seems, or an actor, it was mostly women, but acting seems like even more brutal than writing. Truly. Sometimes if I just don't fit in at all, I'm okay with it. Like, it's more like when I feel like I'm trying and failing to fit in that I feel bad about myself. But I'm like, no, I am the awkward weirdo. It was a lot of like 26 year olds who were like, oh my God, next year I'm not gonna be able to audition for high school. My life is over. Like, it was sad. Wow. That must've been a really interesting learning experience. I enjoyed it. I know what you mean about if you feel like you super don't fit in, it's almost easier to be like, yep, I don't belong here. Cool. I have a fine time like doing things that are a completely different set of people, but it's more like when I think I'm supposed to fit in that it's like weird. That's really interesting. I realized recently that there isn't like a single group I really feel like I fit in with. Right. So that feeling of I don't fit into this, so I may as well just be myself and have fun is kind of something I feel 95% of the time. That's liberating. Do you have like a, a group of friends in New York from like college or high school or something. Yep. I'm so fortunate. I have amazing friends from all different parts of my life. I went to NYU and then all my friends stayed in New York. And then I moved to California to San Francisco. When I hang out with them, it feels like coming home. Like I'm so happy to be back and be with them, but I don't feel like the same person I was in college. And then I met like amazing friends in San Francisco who I love. And I have all these people in my life that I really enjoy, but there's no one group where I'm like, ah, yes, 10 people just like me. Haven't found it. If you're out there, people (laughs) who are just like me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Come on down. Let's get brunch or something. (laughs) So, Ginny, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. This episode of Non-Technical is still brought to you by Bets Recruiting. Whether you're looking to hire the best go-to-market talent or looking for your next opportunity, Bets can help. Okay, friends, I am bringing you what I think may be the one and only time I allow myself to use a phrase like this on the podcast. Here we go. Let's talk about the future of work. I'm not telling you anything you don't know when I say the future of work is kind of happening right now. Companies all over are figuring out whether they want folks in the office or out of the office or kind of in the office or pods or whatever. You may be having those conversations at your company and you may or may not like what's being decided. Either way, the good news is you can join the Bets Recruiting Network to find a company that's totally aligned with what you're looking for from your work setup. Whether that's being in office, best buds with your desk mate, or literally never finding out how tall your coworker is. Learn more about finding your next role or hiring top talent at betsrecruiting.com slash non-technical. And we're back with Ginny Hogan, who's the author of Toxic Femininity in the Workplace, as well as the upcoming Audible original, Yes, We Mustard. Ginny, we've reached a very exciting moment in this episode of Non-Technical. Are you ready? Yes. We have arrived at the lightning round. (gasps) Okay. I love lightning rounds. (gasps) Oh, good. Okay. First question for you, coffee or tea? Coffee. How do you take it? Black. Any way that I'll inject it. I'll take it any form. But yeah, I drink a lot of black coffee. Really? How many cups of coffee do you have a day? Uh, Like four. Oh, wow. Every day? Mm, Yeah. Maybe I, <laughs> I'm trying to cut back a little. Yeah. Sometimes I, instead of coffee, I have like a Red Bull. Oh, okay. oh God. You sounded so sad. <laughs> no, I am trying to cut back. Yes. I started brewing half decaf, half regular. So I think I've cut my cap. Oh, that's good. But now I drink like six of that. But that is less. Sure. Technically less. So I support you. Do you have a favorite board game? Monopoly. Me too. It's fun. We're rare. Actually, a lot of the 
people on this show have said Monopoly, but in life, a lot of people hate Monopoly. Yeah. I hate Scrabble. Okay. Interesting for a writer, no? I hate Scrabble culture. I hate people who, who pride themselves on being good at Scrabble. I do too. I hate most people who pride themselves on being good at a game. I agree. It's, a, it's an unattractive quality, yeah. It really is, and I don't know what it is that's so unattractive about it. I guess it's just that I don't care at all. Games are supposed to be fun. I love being good at games, don't get me wrong, but like, I've never been like, oh, I crush it this ever. Yeah, I know what you mean. Okay. When you make your bed, do you use a top sheet or no top sheet? No top sheet. And I rarely make my bed. <gasps> you don't make your bed? I like you. You have so much time in the morning. You wake up at like 6 a.m. What are you doing with all that time? I just never thought it's important to make my bed. I know that people say it's like a productivity hack, but for me, it doesn't bother me at all that it's not made. I'm used to getting into bed wow. at night when it's not made. It just does nothing for me. I'm stressed all day if I haven't made my bed. Even if I'm not in oh, the bedroom, wow. I'll think about it, how it's not made. And if I get into a bed at night that's unmade, I feel like I failed. People say that there is a mental block to not making a bed, and that's why they recommend it. I've just never experienced that. So I just go, I just don't make it. I would say, though, that you're the one that has the productivity hack because technically I'm spending time making the bed and unmaking it. I think there's like a benefit to routine though. So like if it's part of your morning routine, then that whole routine like comes together to help you probably. Have you ever read a book twice? Yeah. What book? Well, I mean, I've read the Harry Potter books like a million times. I just sure. re read Holes for a second time. What a book. What a book. For sure, a lot of kids' books I've read twice. I read a book called The Recovering twice. Now, like mm. contemporary literature, I rarely read twice, but every once in a while I do. So this book, The Recovering by Leslie Jameson, My Year of Rest and Relaxation, I read twice by Otessa Moshvig. That one's really good. So you've read several books twice. Yeah. What do you get from the second read? Sometimes I've just forgotten enough of it that it feels mm. like reading it all over again. I get that. I struggle with reading books twice lately. I think it's just as I've gotten older and time has moved faster, I feel more and more like I need to seize every single second to experience something. And so now it's sort of like reading a book twice. I think it would stress me out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know that I don't read a lot of books twice. You could think of it as like the experience of reading a book twice, but you don't get that often. That's beautiful. I should also probably just relax. <laughs> you could also relax. I know. It's not so serious. <laughs> if it brings you joy, do it. But yeah. That's beautiful. Do you have a pump up song? Maybe like Blank Space by Taylor Swift. I love that song. Such a good song, yeah. Do you listen to that before you do certain things? No, I don't have like a song like that. Oh, really? What do you do to like get excited about something? I never really need to be excited. I usually need to be calm. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> I like go to the bathroom and like breathe deeply. If I am super tired and I've already had too much coffee, but I really need to get excited about something or I need to be, maybe excited isn't the right word, but I need to be energized for something. I will listen to a lot of pop music, like really exciting pop music. And that usually plus the coffee does the trick. But I use music as like a tool in that way. What about like Brutal, Olivia Rodrigo? That sounds like a good song. I actually heard that song this morning. I didn't really understand the Olivia Rodrigo hype at first. Are you super into her album? I definitely like her. Yeah. So yes. I like her as well. <laughs> but I didn't get the like groundswell obsession. And mm -hmm. I think what I've come to realize is that she so perfectly captures what it feels like to be, let's say, 16, 17, 18, with that swell of emotions that it's like, whoa, it's rare for somebody that young to be that articulate about how it feels. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's what it is. So now I get it. Because at first I was like, yeah, it's like fun 
Poppy. I remember feeling like this. And now I'm like, oh, holy shit. She like nails it. Yeah, no, I think she's really talented. Okay, Ginny, this is my final question, which is sad because I wish we could just keep hanging out. But what would you title your memoir? My dream title is an unexpected sex icon. (laughs) I love that. I'd have to become a sex icon. And to be fair, (laughs) I think I'm closer to it now than when I first conceived of the title. So I think... It would certainly be unexpected. So that's my hope is that by the time I die, I'm a sex icon or by the time I write my memoir. I think we can just start putting this out there into the universe. Manifesting it. There you go. Manifesting yeah. it. Like if somebody asks me like, oh, I saw you interview Jenny Hogan. Like, what did you, what did you think about her? And I'd say, I, you know, I really just got like a sex icon vibe. I would love that. Oh my gosh, Alexis, that'd be so wonderful. I will literally start telling people that. It would, I would be thrilled to start that. Let's make it happen. What would your memoir be titled? Oh, man. Would you believe that I've done like almost 40 episodes and I've never thought about it? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I don't want to put you on the spot. <laughs> no, that's okay. I Or maybe I've an- I must have answered this question at some point. Gosh, I don't know. I'll tell you something embarrassing instead, which is that I, in high school, this this part's not embarrassing. We're getting to the embarrassing part. In high school, I was allowed to in your senior year, spring semester, drop a class and do an independent study if you applied for it. And so I really desperately needed to get out of AP Spanish literature because I was going insane. I love the Spanish language. I loved AP Spanish language, but AP Spanish lit was like Shakespeare in Spanish, essentially. I was like Mm -hmm. going crazy. So I applied for an independent study in songwriting, which I also used to do. The embarrassing fact that I'm sharing as a result of this story is that one of my title ideas for my EP was Sophisticated Insanity. (laughs) I love that. I love that. (laughs) I think that works for you. I think that's very you. I will leave you with that fun fact about my teenage mental state. I think that's great. Yeah. That would have been my sour, you know? Jenny's such a pleasure having you. Thank you so much for joining me today. It was so fun to do this. Thank you for having me, Alexis. Of course. Where can people find more about you online? I'm Ginny Hogan underscore on Twitter and Instagram. Gorgeous. And you can find me at Yay Alexis Gay on Twitter and Instagram or at non-technicalpod on Twitter. Ginny, one more time. Thank you again. And I hope I can hang out with you soon. Yes. Yeah, I'll see you soon. We'll do stand up. It'll be great. Cheers. 